Welcome to Rise Up For You, a podcast focused on helping women get to the next step in life professionally and personally. Through our six pillars, relationships, investing, self-worth, career, love, and health, we focus on the whole woman. With interviews from global experts, teachers, authors, and more, we provide you with real strategy and tips that you can start implementing today in your career, relationships, and so much more. We are all about educating and empowering you to become your best self. And now your host, Natalina. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rise of You podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited because today we're going to be speaking with Mary Cochero. She has been working with couples and families for over 28 years in her private practice in Los Angeles, and she works with couples about how to improve their communication skills, deepen their connection to resolve conflict, and how to discover the joy of being together again. So for those of you that are in a marriage or in a relationship, this episode is absolutely for you. Today, we talk about a couple really important key points in a relationship. Something that uh, really resonates with me is communication. You know, how as a couple do you communicate and work through your problems? And really one of the key factors that Mary states in our episode is that communication patterns are really just it. And, And that is really the make or break of a relationship. Learning how to communicate through the so many problems that we have, whether it's through finances or sex or, um, you know, parenting, learning how to communicate with your partner is really the root of it all. We're going to talk about how to manage your um, reactivity, how to create and share with your partner and how to speak gently so that you're not blaming your partner and it doesn't feel like an attack. Again, this is a really, um, it's an important episode. So definitely stay tuned. Please share it with your friends and family. Rise up for you and enjoy this episode. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Rise Up For You podcast. It's such an honor to have you on the show. We always like to start off the show by letting the audience get to know our guests. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Okay, thank you, Netta, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning. Uh, I am a marriage and family therapist, but I really specialize in couples. For the last 30 years, I've really been a relationship expert, and in my practice in West Los Angeles, I work with couples before they get married. I do a lot of premarital counseling, as well as couples at any stage of relationship. And so I kind of have a living laboratory in my office where I get to um, constantly see what works, what doesn't work, what makes marriages succeed or fail, and have just been training other therapists to to become couples therapists in a relational paradigm for the last 25, 30 years. And so couples are us. That's what I do. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this industry. Was this your first first choice of career? Did you go to school for it or did you shift into this industry? Well, unlike a lot of my colleagues where, you know, they've they're my age and have, you know, been a therapist for 10 years, I really started quite young. I had out of college um been working as a translator for a French company. I had majored in foreign language uh, and psychology. I had a double major. And I really 
was doing a lot of executive recruiting in the oil industry for this French company. And what I found is that I was less interested in helping these people get situated in new jobs than I was in their stories, in their backgrounds, in what had brought them to this place in their lives. And of course, that wasn't a very lucrative model for employment recruiting, but it did get me thinking that there must be a career where you really get to talk to people about their stories. And so sure enough, there is. And so I went to graduate school in um, marriage and family counseling. And then uh, I moved to Houston to do a postgraduate fellowship at the Galveston Family Institute. And I was there for four years and I was working with uh, a lot of court-ordered family cases, children who had all kinds of symptoms and, and problems. And although I loved working with the children, what I found is that I was limited in my ability to really affect change because they would, you know, get better with me, but then go home to the same family system that was pretty dysfunctional and was probably the root of their problems to begin with. So I thought, what if I could just work with the parents? Um, What if I stopped seeing the children and worked with couples? Uh, Because certainly a disrupted marriage um, is not good for their children. And that would be the root source, and I'd be able to get at it in a different way. So when I came back to Los Angeles, I started getting advanced certifications from working with couples. I'm a certified Imago relationship therapist. That's the work of Harville Hendricks. Um, and then also got certified in encounter-centered couples therapy, which is the work of Heidi Schleifer. And then did all kinds of training in the Gottman Method and um, Sue Johnson's work, Emotionally Focused Therapy. So I just have a lot of training, education, and 30 years of experience working with couples. It's interesting, your path in regards to how you started working with couples. It's similar in some ways to how Rise Up For You was created, you know, working with so many children and the youth of really the world, around the world, and seeing that many of the issues that were stemming in children were coming from the home, from the household, with the adults that they were surrounded by. Um, so where do, where do we jump in? Because this is such an important but wide topic. I mean, we know that one of the main things that happens in marriage is um, a lack of engagement that occurs, and whether that be through misunderstanding, communication, or they fall out of love. I guess the question is, is what are, what's the most common thing that you see in relationships that marriages, premarital relationships that you see that's kind of, um, you know, affecting the relationship in a negative way? Well, it is a broad topic, but I would say by and large, most couples who come in, um, have ideas about what is the topic that's problematic for them, the one where they're stuck, the one that's really causing so much conflict that they can't resolve, that they begin to disaffect. They're not, they're not engaged, as you said, with each other. And when they are engaged, it's in a, in a kind of hostile, hurtful way. And so, you know, of course, those topics, one click of the internet will tell you it's, money, it's sex, it's the children, it's the mother-in-law. But I've always believed that it's actually not any of those topics per se. It's more about the communication patterns and that couples don't know how to resolve issues regarding children and mother-in-laws and sex and money. And that if you teach a basic process 
that allows couples to talk about the difficult things, but also stay in their loving connection while doing so, that any problem can be tackled, no matter how small or how large. And so communication tools and communication skills training to deepen connection is a very big part of marriage or relationship counseling, even premaritally. Couples need to learn a process. And most of us know that, but we don't really know how to learn it. We haven't been taught. There's no, you know, prep class we can go take um, before we get married. There, there's really a lot of need for, for this kind of um, skill building in the culture because, you know, our culture is deeply divided. We, we are people who fight a lot. We're people who insult each other. We're people who bomb other nations, you know? So I always think that this work is so vital because as you heal one relationship and then if that relationship, um, is growing children, then that child grows up in a healthier environment with more nurturance and compassion and acceptance, then that person is healthier to go build another good relationship. So it's kind of like, if you focus on the big picture, it's like healing the planet one couple at a time. Mm. So it's interesting that you say communication. Now, when you meet with these couples, do you have a lot of men or women that say to you, my communication is fine? I'm sure you do, that they think their communication is on point or on key, but in, in actuality, it's not. You know, I don't actually hear that very much. What I hear is um, one of two things. Either I don't, I, I don't express myself very well, um, or it's really hard for me to listen. I tend to be really distracted. Uh, but I will tell you, Netta, that the most common thing is people coming in telling me that about their partners. It's not so much that they're owning their own um, their own lack in those areas, but rather, you know, he doesn't listen very well. Um, she's not interested in what I have to say. He's always looking at his phone. She's always on Facebook. You know, usually people come in complaining about each other. And so I quickly disabuse them of the idea of that because I believe, I really believe that everybody is 100% responsible for what goes into that relationship space between them. And almost immediately we start working on taking a look at ourselves and what it is that we're doing that's contributing to and or triggering our partner into these patterns that are hurtful to us. Okay. And so what are some, I guess, one or two things off the top of your head, good techniques or strategies in order to help the communication and bridge the gap between the two partners? Well, you know, I practice in counter-centered couples therapy in my, in my practice with couples most of the time. And also my retreats and workshops come from that theory of communication. And, and the most primary idea is that between any two people there is a space and in that space the relationship lives and when we're not paying attention to that space or we're not even aware of it we tend to pollute it and so you know if you think about what are all the ways we can pollute relationship space well criticism uh contempt for the other refusing to talk or to engage or to do the things that need to be done to strengthen the space um, certainly defensiveness, being distracted, not paying attention. I mean, there are so many things and I really get couples thinking about, you know, what are, what is your individual 
thing that you do that really pollutes that space. Then becoming aware of the space, we can make a commitment to sanctify it. And so by cleaning out the pollution, getting better habits, really taking a look at what does make marriage succeed, then couples can begin to imagine a bridge and that the bridge goes from you to me over that space. And when I come to you with nothing but curiosity and an open heart to know who you are and to get to know what you're thinking and what you're feeling, because it's automatically different than what's inside of me, then we can really have an encounter. We can touch each other in a way that is very different because it's respectful and there's nothing in that space but curiosity for who you are. And then from the curiosity, we get acceptance. And even more than acceptance, I like couples to celebrate their differences because most arguing in relationship is one person trying to coerce or beg or cajole the other person into being more like them. Can't you just see it my way? Can't you just do it my way? Can't you just feel what I feel? And that's a total waste of time because we're not in relationship with ourselves. We're in relationship with another. And the other, by definition, is different. But then once we get in there, we go, oh, you're different. Oh, that's too bad. Let me see if I can change you. (laughs) It just doesn't go well, right? So... So one thing is to sit close, to pull up two chairs and to really sit close. Neuroscience tells us that when two, cup, when two people, it doesn't even have to be a couple in love, but when any two people gaze into each other's eyes with about 18 inches between, it calms the limbic brain. And that's the part of the brain where our reactivity, our fight or our runaway happens. And so it calms that part of the brain and it lights up the cortex The cortex is what you and I are using right now, Meta, to have this conversation. It's the intelligent, mature part of our brain, the part where we know we're in relationship, where the couple knows they're in love, and they can have those deeper conversations in the part of the brain where they can remain respectful and curious and find solutions. But when we're in the limbic brain, that reactive part of the brain, we're just... um, not in the part of the brain that can even solve the problem. And so that's a good definition of an argument. You know, two limbic brains, like like two children having a fight and trying to resolve something that can't possibly be resolved in that part of the brain. So the sitting close, gazing into each other's eyes, if you hold hands, it releases oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. So couples who are really conflicted sometimes just need to get into that position, look into each other's eyes, hold hands, breathe deeply, and with no words, allow the neurobiology to help them out, to calm them down before they talk at all. Mm. And then, of course... In Imago, we, one technique is, is called the Imago dialogue or the intentional dialogue where you are facing each other and one person talks and the other person listens deeply enough to mirror back or repeat back what they've heard before they ever respond. And that also slows down that reactive part of the brain because the goal in all of these techniques is to get people from being emotionally reactive where we say and do things we later regret and the problem is still sitting there between us. Nothing's been resolved. Mm. Can I ask you, and this is something that I, that I often wonder about personally, something that I struggle with, is it possible to communicate too much? Um, it's possible to talk too much. Like, I don't know if, if, if we're using the word communicate 
it as a as the way I just described it, like a real encounter, a soul to soul meeting where we are now understanding and accepting each other better. I'd say no, you can't do that too much. But certainly, people talk too much; they overshare. And, and for most couples, there's one person in the relationship whose energy expands when you get upset. They talk more, they talk louder, they can't go to sleep until it's resolved. If you walk out of the room, they'll follow you. If you hang up the phone, they'll call you back. You know who you are. Uh, I'm one of those. And the other half of the population, their energy constricts when they're upset. They shut down. They're like turtles. They get quiet. They don't want to talk. They want to avoid the conflict. They'll go to sleep to avoid the conflict. They're the ones that walk out of the room or hang up the phone. And so what happens is usually turtles marry hailstorms. That's very common. You know, opposites do attract in this way. And then we've got the person whose energy is expanded who is talking too much, oversharing, wanting to make the point, wanting to make the point again and again and again. And their little turtle partner is really threatened by all that talking. And so the way to get away from it for them is to shut down further. And then the more they shut down, the more the other partner feels ignored or disrespected, they talk even more. So you can see where that goes. It's like one person is getting bigger while the other person is getting smaller. And the gap between them is widening. So what I teach couples is to get out of that dynamic and to meet in the middle where everybody's calm and, like I said, in their part of the brain they need to be in, the prefrontal cortex, so that they can have a mature conversation, maintain their essential love connection, and not go into expanding their energy, which is the fight response, or constricting their energy, which is the flee response. Does that make sense to you the way I said it? It does absolutely make sense. My question um, in just hearing you talk, and I'm sure many people can resonate with this, is when you have somebody who's sensitive that needs to express how they feel if they're hurt or if something happens, um, how do you... you know, how do you control that? You know, I know a lot of people that when they feel something, they want to say it like they, they want to express it and get it off their chest. Um, and if they don't get it off their chest, then that's when it bottles up and explodes. But how do you do that without being, um, I don't want to say nitpicking, but without making the other person feel that they can never be good enough or they can never do anything right. Exactly. That's a very common dynamic and a great question. Um, I think it's twofold. One is that we all as mature adults need to learn how to manage our reactivity. And if we're just anxious and want to resolve it right this minute, and that's what makes us feel better, sometimes we need to learn self-soothing. We need to find ways to calm ourselves down and to pick a better moment where our partner is going to be receptive and able to hear us because just blurting every thought and feeling we have is might make us feel better, but might actually feel like pollution in that relationship space. You know, it's not necessarily the best thing for the relationship, even if it feels good to you. So learning to self-contain. And one of the things I do is help couples figure out what is the self-soothing thing for them. It's interesting to me how many adults have no idea what the answer to that question is. Like, we just don't know what calms ourselves down. And we need to know. You know, for some people, it's meditation, it's mindfulness, it's reading a book, it's calling a friend, it's writing in a journal, it's taking a nap, it's praying, you know, whatever it is. But it's important for us to manage our own reactivity. That's the first thing. 
The second thing I think is that it's good to learn how to ask for an appointment. It's good to say to your partner, you know, there's something really bothering me that I need to share with you is now a good time. Because a lot of times for our partners, if we are the person who talks more and we complain more, what that feels like to our partners is constant onslaught of, let me just tell you what you're doing wrong. And of course, anybody would want to avoid that conversation, right? So asking for the time to really pull up two chairs to make it a bit more of a, of a ritual where, you know, you could say, come over the bridge to me. I really have something I need to share with you. You get your partner's permission to share it so that, you know, they're in an open, curious, receptive state. And you can set that up by appointment. You know, your partner might say, not now, give me 10 minutes or not now. How about tonight at six? But if you've both agreed to sit and have the conversation, I think it, almost 100% of the time goes better than if you're just kind of blindsiding your partner with your latest complaint. Mm. And, then, and then it's important to not make it sound like a complaint or an attack because if you, if you think that you are going to take all the criticism out of that relational space, then the way you say something has to be um, gentler. Um, John Gottman in his research on couples therapy calls that a soft scent. You know, that we say um, there's something going on that is bothering me and I'd really like to explore that with you versus how come you didn't do this or that? You know, I mean, there's just ways to talk that will keep the listener in the room better than others. Mm. And so, so some of it is teaching people how to send their message in a more loving, kind way. And the other is to help. Um, the partner really stay present when they want to shut down so that they can hear the message and hear it without defensiveness. I love that. Is there a way or um, something that we can start practicing when we're, when we're trying to speak gently? I know some people say refer to you, like, you know, saying you do this and you do this. Is there something off the top of your head that you can say, try to avoid using this, this word or um, speaking to them in this way when you're trying to express yeah, I mean, clearly, I mean, this is like communication 101, but, you know, using I statements is better than you statements. So if you say there's something going on with me that I want to explore, I'd like you to, to listen, you know, I feel those are going to be less um, dangerous kinds of statements to your partner than if you say, um, I, I want to talk to you, you really do this and it bothers me. Well, you could say that differently. You could even say, I feel when this happens. You know, it's just, it's really asking yourself, if, if this were coming at me, would it sound like an attack? And it's not just the words. It's also the tone and the volume and the body language and the facial expression. You know, we get all of that in communication. Um, and some scientists have said that communication is only 7% about the words. Um, but if you use the wrong words, that can be a big 7%. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the thing I tell couples to, to remember in their head, sometimes if they're really attacking, I actually have them say it out loud. But one thing I try to remember is when I'm bothered about something, that it's called the 90-10 rule. And it states this, anything that's going on between you and me that I'm bothered by, is about 10% about what's going on between you and me. And the other 90% is that history that I bring to the relationship, all my memories from everything else in my life, 
that get triggered by what's going on between you and me. So if the problem is 10% us and the other 90% lives inside of me and it's something getting triggered from the past, then when I start to complain to you about something going on between you and me, it's important to remember that percentage because you're only 10% of my problem. So why would I act as if you're 100% of my problem? Mm. So I could say it like this. There's something I want to share with you and don't worry. It's more about me than it is about you. For scared, for the scared, usually it's a husband, but like when women say we need to talk, men just get terrorized. I mean, they'll express to me, they start sweating, they they get nervous, they want to get out of the room because it sounds like they're in trouble, right? So you want to approach each other in a way that says, don't worry, you're not in trouble. I want to talk about something, but it's more about me than it is about you. When you hear those words, you immediately relax, right? Because you know, this isn't going to be an attack. It's not, you're not in trouble. You didn't do anything wrong. Woohoo, an opportunity to get to know my partner better. She's going to explore something and I get to witness it. That's a much different context um, than just dumping complaints on your partner. I like that. I, everything that you uh, that you talked with us today about in the episode is, I think, really important and pertinent. And even though it might be baby steps, you know, you'd be surprised. I mean, you're probably not surprised, but how many of us don't do just the basic things that can really make a difference in a relationship? Mary, I'd love to jump into the power section of our interview. Can you tell us one book that you've read that's had a massive impact on your life that you would recommend to us? Yes. In fact, I think I've kind of been talking about what's in that book since we began. Um, Netta, I don't know if you've heard of this book, but Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt has just really been an inspiration to me in my career. Um, Harville Hendricks is the father of Imago Relationship Therapy, and his theories about how couples get together, what they're attracted to, how we fall in love with one person and not the other person, and then what happens once we get into that committed relationship. Why does all that romantic love go away? Why do we end up in a power struggle and arguing and and sometimes just not able to even stay together, you know, 50% of the time, in fact. So it's got a beautiful theory about all of that. It's been on and off the bestseller list for the last 25 years, maybe six or seven times. It's still an immensely popular book. This year, it's getting um, re-released. So, you know, when you think about, like, what makes a classic, it's the universality of a book, and it's also the timelessness of a book. And his book has really um, created imago therapy in 36 countries around the world now there are thousands and thousands of imago therapists working with couples everywhere from grass shacks in africa to you know penthouses in los angeles so it's a very universal idea and the work is easy to follow and um you know, it helps if you have a coach in the beginning, but couples like this book. It's not just therapists reading this book. So that to me is a, is a good book because it's really changed our culture. It's changed the way we look at relationship and it has this universality that people tend to um, really appreciate. Also, you know, he, he went on Oprah when she had her day program, her talk show, like something like seven times he's won emmys for her she calls him the marriage whisperer and credits him 
for her relationship, her ongoing relationship with Stedman. I mean, it's she also helped bring this into people's living rooms where it became more accessible. So I would say that, you know, unless we're talking about fiction, I read a lot of fiction. I don't even know if I could ever say my favorite book. But in terms of a book that's really changed my life and my career, I would say Getting the Love You Want. Mm. And what's one value that you constantly stick by that's a non-negotiable for you? Uh, well, um, compassion. You know, the, the great thing, and sometimes it's a double-edged sword in, in um, life, but the one thing I've learned from, from 30 years of being um, a therapist and listening to people's stories is that everybody has one. You know, and where we've been and what we've experienced and what life has dealt us begins to shape who we are in the world. And even when we see people who do terrible things or or think or feel terrible things, if you can spend the time to get to know someone's background and someone's story, everything makes coherent sense and has meaning. And I think to have compassion or empathy for the other um, makes them less other because we realize we're all the same Mm -hmm. at the core. We're all doing the best we can do with the story that we have. And so I really live my life and certainly practice my career with a tremendous amount of empathy and compassion. And that's really non-negotiable for me. And we like to ask here, if you can leave the world with one final message, we call it the golden nugget. What would that be for you? Uh, I think to really work hard at letting go of judgment, that when there is no judgment, we can have that compassion our souls will meet and our world will be a better place. Hmm. And as you know, we were the company rise up for you and that's the podcast. When you hear that phrase rise up for you, what initially comes to mind? Uh, The word empowerment and responsibility for our lives and our relationships. I think rise up is just such a, you just, Visually, I can see something powerful happening. And so I think, you know, I I don't know exactly what it's supposed to mean, but for me, it just sounds like a very empowered kind of statement. Mm. And also, I think empowerment comes from really taking responsibility for our lives and for our relationships, which is, you know, what I've spent my life coaching people to do. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an incredible episode, tons of value. How can we support you and how do we learn more about you? Well, I have a great website, if I say so myself. A lot of people have worked on it, but um, mkcachero.com. And the, the next big project that I'm involved in is I'm, I'm doing couples retreats now where I take only five couples, very private, very um, intimate. And we go to this beautiful really beautiful um, estate in Montecito overlooking the ocean. Only five couples, 
very private. Everybody gets their own room, their own bath. I hired a chef who comes in and cooks all our meals, and we do really deep transformational couples work um, from Friday to Sunday. The next one is June 22nd through the 24th, and I would love to have some of your listeners sign up for that and come join me. Wonderful. Mary, again, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, and have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it and pass it on to your friends and family. You know, the podcast is just one way that we reach our community members. If you go to our website, www.riseupforyou.com, you will see articles written from contributors from around the world, webinars, live events for you to attend. But, you know, we also have a huge online resource center full of information that you can access absolutely free. And, you know, one of my favorite sections is the Unstoppable Confidence Toolbox that's full of practices and ways to help you build confidence so that you can overcome any doubt that's consistently getting in your way. It's actually pretty cool. I mean, there's PDFs, there's articles, there's exercises, there's so much for you to take hold of and really help you get to the next step. The cool thing is, is we have programs, trainings, and live coaching calls that are happening all year long, special for our members. So if you're looking for more and you really want to connect with like-minded women like yourself, then you definitely want to check out our membership and all of the benefits that we have to offer here at Rise Up For You. And lastly, if you haven't already, we would really love to hear from you and know how we're doing. Head over to iTunes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and let us know how we're doing. Rate us, review us, so that we can be better and rise up with you. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater tomorrow.